Well, good morning, church. As the kids make their way downstairs with their leaders, I just wanted to ask you, how many of you are tuning into the big game tonight? Not, come on, really? How many of you are, there are over a hundred million people are going to be watching the Super Bowl tonight. Uh, It could even be the greatest or the largest uh, television audience uh, ever. It's going to be right up there with that. Um, so obviously we have to ask the question, uh, just to cause division in our ranks. Um, who, who's, who's pulling for the Patriots? Obviously not Gary. Um, got, got a few Patriots. Paul, I know. Paul's already emailed me. Yeah. Um, big Patriots fan. And Rams? Who's pulling for the Rams? Okay, okay, looks like we're, we're leaning toward the Rams. It's the underdog. I'm kind of uh, pulling for the underdog myself. What's that? Who doesn't care? Yeah, really, right, right. Which brings us to uh, the next uh, thing I want to share with you. It's uh, Super Bowl by the numbers, um, not for the players on the field, um, but for those of us who are going to be on the couch watching the game. And so I just wanted to share a few things with you. Um, 11 million pounds of potato chips will be consumed tonight. Think about how much a potato chip weighs. That's a lot of potato chips. 100 million pounds of guacamole will be consumed. The avocado industry just booming. But this one's what, this is the one that got me. 1.25 billion Chicken wings will be eaten tonight. I mean, you would think that that would create an endangered species, wouldn't you? No, I mean, seriously. I'm thinking, wait a minute. How many chickens are there at one time on the face of the earth? A whole bunch of them with no wings. That's 25. (laughs) 25. Stop it right there. I should just, all right, yeah. It's going to be a tough series, so I'm, I'm just, I'm just kind of laying, you know, the positive groundwork here. 25 million people will attend a Super Bowl party tonight. Those parties will average 17 people. 40% of those uh, who will be there uh, don't care. Um, they're not football fans, okay? Um, and uh, 325 million gallons of beer will be consumed today and tonight, which will lead to 1.5 million people calling in sick for work tomorrow. So it's a big night, um, big night of consumption, seriously, you know, and as we look at this, it's interesting, starting this series, uh, Hope in Hard Times, um, on Super Bowl Sunday in this, you know, comfortable culture that we live in is, is somewhat uh, ironic. Um, but over the next seven weeks, um, I'm, I'm going to be walking with you verse by verse through the book of First Peter. And so if you've got your Bible with you right now, let me encourage you to turn to First Peter. Um, if you go to the very back to Revelation and uh, take a left three Johns, you'll bump into Second Peter and then First Peter is uh, one more to the left. So at the tail end um, uh, of the New Testament, if you're if you're searching for it, um, but we're going to be walking through this book um, almost 
for two months here and walking together as, as we have encouraged all of you to get involved in a small group to take what we're doing here on Sunday morning a little bit deeper, take it into uh, more of a personal application and a community setting in your small group. So, again, you can sign up out in the lobby. Uh, today is, is not necessarily the last time you can get in one of these small groups, but if you want to start the group, let us know so these leaders can, uh, can get in touch with you beforehand. Um, but uh, we're going to be walking through it to glean the Lord's wisdom on how to faithfully navigate difficult seasons in our lives. In other words, how to keep hope alive in hard times. And the reality is some of you are going through some tough stuff right now. Uh, maybe you've got a dream that, that you've held on to for years that it doesn't seem to to be coming to fruition, and it just feels like that dream is dying, and, and that's a difficult, difficult process for you. Uh, maybe your health uh, is deteriorating, and there were a lot of things that you had hoped to do or wanted to do, but your health is not allowing you to do that right now. Or perhaps uh, it's a relationship. Maybe your marriage is a mess right now. And when things aren't good at home, man, it just makes everything difficult. Maybe you're in a parenting season that is just absolutely overwhelming. Uh, there's just not enough time in the day to get done everything that needs to be done. Or, or perhaps it's financial. It's just a struggle. Uh, paycheck to paycheck. Or maybe you've experienced a financial reversal of late that has sort of uh, turned your family upside down. We all go through difficult times. We all go through storms. And if we're not in one right now, and we're not coming out of a storm right now, just hold on because one is on the way. That's the nature of life this side of heaven. The question is, in the midst of all that, how do we hold on to hope? How do we keep the faith? in the midst of storms, in the midst of difficult things that we face in this life. And that's what this letter that Peter wrote, First Peter, that's what he, he's writing about. That is the context of this letter. And that's what we're going to be walking through these next seven weeks. Peter wrote this letter primarily to Jewish believers, just, just to lay the groundwork in the context here up front. He wrote it primarily to Jewish believers. And they were in Asia Minor, or what is modern-day Turkey. And these folks had been driven from their homes in Jerusalem during what is known as the Diaspora, or the spreading. And they were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Nero was the emperor at that time in Rome, and under his reign, Christians were literally persecuted for sport. They were seen as a threat to to Nero's rule and his reign because they would not take allegiance uh, to the Roman emperor. They gave their allegiance to Christ. Believers were used as torches to light his gardens. They were slaughtered by gladiators and wild animals in the Colosseum. 
which, as I thought about that, you know, is, is kind of a forerunner to our Super Bowl. You know, the Colosseum was the Super Bowl of the first century. You talk, they, they used that event to, to keep peace in the, in, in the kingdom, if you will, to, to entertain the people uh, at the expense, uh, obviously, of, of a great deal of innocent life, including Christians. Well, we've cleaned it up uh, a great deal but uh, watching men brutalize each other is age-old entertainment. Both Peter and the Apostle Paul were killed in Rome in this time period during Nero's great persecution. Peter was crucified upside down, tradition has it, if you'll remember, uh, because he did not and refused to be crucified in the same way that his Lord was crucified. And so he told them to turn the cross upside down. Paul would later be beheaded uh, at the gates of Rome. And so this is serious business that we're talking about here. These were hard times that most of us could never honestly relate to. These guys were the real deal. And they were in the middle of it as Peter is writing this letter. As a matter of fact, uh, he wrote this letter just three years, scholars believe, before he was martyred uh, in Rome. And so he was literally living the words that he was writing. He wasn't just encouraging Christians who were going through these things. He was allowing the Holy Spirit, allowing the Lord to encourage him as well in the midst of it as he led the way toward martyrdom. Few of us uh, will go through that kind of persecution, uh, but we all experience suffering in varying degrees. And no matter what degree of suffering that we're going through, what degree of difficult times we're experiencing, it is very, very real in our lives. And it matters. Suffering is not just a relative thing. We all suffer in different ways, and, and, and it matters, and God cares about what's going on in each of our lives. Persecution comes today in, in different ways um, as far as living in a hostile culture. Just this week, as many of you, uh, I'm sure, are aware, a bill was introduced in the Virginia legislature to allow abortions in the third trimester of pregnancy right to the point of birth. And listening to some of, uh, of the, the, these folks on the news and, and their perspective on this thing and, and their, 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 their lack of, of, of understanding of really human life is just unbelievable and frightening concerning where our culture is and where our culture continues to move. And that was just coming on the heels of New York's precedent and their celebration, literally, of an infanticide in the last two weeks. You know, as Christians, we may not be martyred in the Colosseum today for our faith, but our values and the truths that we hold dear are being slaughtered with the stroke of a pen by those like Nero who have no other God but themselves. 
We live in a different day. But we still live in a hostile culture. So to open his letter, Peter reminds both first century Christians and 21st century believers who they are and whose they are in Christ. Take a look with me as Peter opens this letter up. He introduces himself in in standard form as the author. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he, he tells us who the audience is. He says, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Don't, don't miss that. How comfortable are you in this world? How comfortable are you seeking to be in this world? And I ask myself that same question over and over again. To God's elect, strangers in this world, speaking to followers of Christ, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Asia Minor, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood, referring to the forgiveness that we find through the work of Jesus on the cross. And so right out of the gates, Peter says, when times get tough, man, the first thing you need to do is remember whose you are. You going through a tough time right now? Are days difficult? Peter says the first thing you need to do is to remember whose you are. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and your picture was on God's fridge before the foundation of the world. Think about that. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God's elect, you have been chosen by God. Man, your picture was on His fridge before anything that has been created was created. You were on His mind. He chose you to be His child. He chose you to be a citizen of heaven. He chose to adopt you into His family for all eternity. We're talking about the God of creation. Think about that. Let that sink in. We don't pause to just soak in that nearly as much as we should. That is your, that is my, that is every follower of Jesus Christ's identity. That is the most important thing about who you are. You are a child of God with all the privileges and responsibilities that come with it. A child of the King. And remembering that reality alone has the capacity to transform troubled times. Henry Nouwen, the great contemplative, said this concerning what we often whisper to ourselves when things aren't going our way. How many of you have that little voice that, that, that will tell you that you're not enough? How many of you have that voice that says, ah, you don't have what it takes, I told you. You know, that's not God's voice. That's not even your voice. That is the enemy's voice speaking to you, trying to rob you of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. 
Nowen said this. He said, we must totally disown our self-rejecting voice and claim the truth that God does indeed want to embrace us. Man, when you get down, when you're going through tough times, when it doesn't look like your plan is coming to pass, and those voices start telling you, man, I told you, 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 you're you not good enough. You don't have what it takes. Man, what Henry Nowen is saying is you've got to take every thought, every self-rejecting voice captive. You've got to recognize it for what it is. Don't let it play the game. And you've got to take it captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And you've got to acknowledge the truth of who you are. You've got to remember whose you are instead of allowing the enemy to speak lies into your life. Where do you need to do that this morning? What lie is the enemy speaking to you right now in the midst of difficulty and darkness that you're believing He speaks those lies into our lives to take us to a darker place. Never to speak hope in the situation. And so we've got to acknowledge that. We've got to recognize that. And we've got to take those lives captive. And not believe them. It was God's initiative through the work of the Holy Spirit. Hear me now. It was God's initiative through the work of the Holy Spirit that drew you to Jesus Christ. Some of you are being drawn right now. It is God's initiative in your life right this moment, today. The movement of the Holy Spirit that is convicting you to come to Christ. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. What? I chose you. And all you've got to do is acknowledge that and step over the line into God's family. And we take way too much credit for our own salvation. The God of the universe knows you and chose you before the foundation of the world. In the midst of difficult times and in the best of times, remember whose you are. Peter then reminds us that Being uncomfortable in this world, being a stranger in this world, is the norm for the Christian. That we should expect and we should embrace being uncomfortable in this world because it's not our home. Because we're just passing through this place to our ultimate destination. You know, I'm convinced that most of the difficulties that I face are the result of my own expectations that are unmet. Not expectations that God has given me that he's not meeting, but expectations that I have about being comfortable in this world that go unmet. And that creates disappointment and pain. That there should be an absence of pain, an expectation that there's no pain in my life, but there should be an abundance of comfort. That's not biblical. Unfortunately, the degree of hope we have is often tied to the degree of comfort 
we have. Are you with me? In other words, we're hopeful in the good times because things are going our way, but we tend to lose hope in the hard times and question God's love for us in those times. Peter goes on to tell us that the hope we have in Christ is unaffected by our circumstances, good or bad. That, through our, that though our perspective may change, our hope remains the same. Where do you need to be reminded of that this morning? That no matter what's going on circumstantially in your life, the hope you have in Christ remains the same. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Where are you questioning God's love for you? Or His plan and His purpose for you as His child? Peter challenges us to remember whose we are, and then he challenges us to focus on the destination. To focus on the destination. Verse 3 and 4. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Man, he's pointing these folks who are going through difficult times to their final destination. And he's doing the same thing for us. Peter says, keep your eye on the prize. No matter what's going on around you, focus on the destination. Where we are right now in this world is the toughest part of the journey. We're living in between. We're living in this, this realm of sanctification where we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Where the selfishness and the self-centeredness is being fired away and we are becoming conformed to the likeness of Jesus it's, it's like the part of the road trip where the scenery never changes and you wonder if you're ever going to get there. And the kids are screaming from the back seat, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I can't tell you how many times I've looked up to the Lord and just said, Man, are we there yet? Come, Lord Jesus. You know, I'm tired of the journey. It's hard walking with Christ this side of heaven. It's uncomfortable. And if somebody tells you different, it's simply not true. It's not a good sell to get people to step over the line. It's not a good sell to fill your churches up. This is a difficult journey, and we are promised that we will have trouble. We will have tribulation, but that Christ has overcome the world. This life, Peter says, is not all there is. To the contrary, our time here is just a blip on the radar screen of eternity. Our hope lies in the one who has defeated sin, death, the grave. The one who rose on the third day. It's a living hope, Peter tells us. Secured by a living Savior. It's not a Pollyanna perspective. With rose-colored glasses. 
The hope we have is not a mind game that we shut out the realities of life and convince ourselves that things are really better than they are. No, the hope we have is fueled by our faith. Peter goes on to tell us that faith is the key to finding hope in hard times. What are you going through right now? Remember whose you are. And then begin to exercise your faith. As Jesus put it, don't be afraid. Just believe. It seems so easy. But it's a challenge to believe in that we cannot see. But Peter says this, You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. And so faith is the key to moving forward in hope through hard times. Faith shields us with God's power. And so Peter calls us in the midst of it all to keep the faith. Keep the faith. And faith is a weapon against the assault of this world. Ephesians 6 tells us that it is the shield of God's power in our lives where Paul is walking through the armor of God. Faith and hope are inextricable. You cannot have one without the other. And without Jesus as the object of each, you can have neither. This world will sweep you into cynicism in a heartbeat if you don't fight with and for your faith. Faith comes by hearing, Paul tells us, and hearing by the Word of God. Say, Phil, I mean, I'm in the midst. I'm just reeling under what I'm going through right now, and I don't feel like, you know, I have the energy to have faith. Well, that's a, faith is the gift of God. God gives us faith. We don't have to manufacture it. But Paul says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We can position ourselves in such a way that our faith is renewed, that our faith is strengthened. And we do that by staying connected to the body of Christ, by immersing ourselves in the Scripture, by surrounding ourselves with faithful and hopeful people. But our tendency in hard times is to isolate and not participate. And that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be. He wants us to be alone with him so that those voices can get in undisturbed. And the reality is we don't stand a chance there. And if you want to keep hope alive, fight with and for your faith. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Speaking to that faith, Peter says this in verse 8. Say, well, gosh, these people were a whole lot closer to the, the resurrection. Peter was an eyewitness to the resurrection. Don't forget that is all going on here. Also, we're talking about 67, 62 to 67 A.D., so we're just 30-some years away from the resurrection. 
but but these folks, man, they were they're new believers. They, they they didn't walk with Christ. Most of these people, they had never seen Jesus. They're taking uh, the apostles' word for it. And and Peter says this to them concerning faith. He says, "Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Blessed are those who believe." yet have not seen, Jesus said. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving. You are in the process of actively receiving the goal, the destination of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. And hope evaporates without faith. You cannot sustain hope. Without faith. And so don't give up. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Keep fighting with and for your faith. Peter says, trust me. It's worth it. It's worth it. In this, in your salvation, he says in verse 6, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Two key encouragements that Peter leaves us with here. Number one. Your salvation is greater than your situation. Your salvation is greater than anything that you're experiencing or going through right now. If God is for you, who can be against you? And the second encouragement he leaves us with is this. There is purpose beyond your pain. There is purpose beyond your pain. Your pain is not pointless In God's grand design. God never wastes a hurt. And there is always a purpose. Beyond your pain. Hard times and difficult days. Reveal the authenticity. Of our faith. Many people just walk away. When hard times come. And I must tell you. I mean I've been. I've been a believer for for almost 30 years now. And I've been pastoring for. For 25 years, and I can't, I mean, countless times when it has crossed my mind just to walk away. I mean, you know, you, you're going through things, and it's like, Lord, golly, Pete, I need to know you're real. I need to know you're there. And you just get in that crucible. And it's in those moments. That, that, that Peter is telling us, man, we've got to surrender. We've got to step in and lean into our faith like never before. So many people don't do that. Instead of leaning into their faith, leaning towards God, they accuse God and they lean away from God and they walk away from God and they never come back because the pain was too much and they blame God for the pain. God doesn't bring pain into our lives. God exploits the pain that this fallen world brings into our lives for his glory, ultimately. And maintaining that perspective is one of the most difficult things to do this side of heaven. Hard times and difficult days reveal the authenticity of your faith 
And they serve to conform you to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it is seldom pleasant. Nothing comes into our lives that catches God by surprise. So no matter what you're going through this morning, no matter what you're experiencing, it's not caught God by surprise. He knows exactly where you are. You are still His cherished child that He loves beyond your comprehension. And He has a desire to walk with you through that storm to ultimately get you to the destination that He has secured for you, the salvation of your soul. Don't walk away. Remember whose you are. Focus on the destination. Keep the faith. And I close with these words from the writer of Hebrews. We have this hope. This hope in Christ as an anchor for our souls. Firm and secure. The anchor will hold. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the living hope that we have in Jesus, that we serve a risen Savior, that, Lord, the resurrection is an historical event that actually occurred, that is unique to the faith that we follow, sets us apart, Lord, from any other religion on the face of the earth. I pray this morning, Lord, that that hope would, would, would penetrate our hearts today. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult the days are, Lord, that you would penetrate that heart and draw your hope into it in a way that only you can. Lord Jesus, we thank you for overcoming this world, overcoming the difficulty and the hardship, overcoming ultimately sin, death, and the grave. And Lord, we, we express our faith afresh and anew in you this morning. We acknowledge that you have forgiven us through your work on the cross. We acknowledge that you are greater than anything that this world can bring upon us. And we, Lord, hold on to you as the anchor of our salvation. We pray that prayer in your holy name. Amen.